The Brown Mouse by Edward Parrish Ware From Weird Tales, April 1924 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Grothman The Brown Mouse by Edward Parrish Ware As I climbed the stairway, I was cautious only that I was bent upon overtaking the vague form of a man, slim and youthful, whose face attracted me strangely. The question beat in my brain, Who is he? If I could get my hands upon him, compel him to look straight into my eyes, his identity would immediately become fixed. Of that I was sure. But he seemed to float rather than walk always just out of my reach. The chase, begun in a café on Lower Broadway, had led me through many weary miles of streets, slippery with rain, and almost deserted. Miles away the pursuit ended in a grim old studio building, much favored by writers, artists, and others who follow loose trades. I knew the place. In fact, someone whose name I could not quite recall lived there. On the stairway of the building I overtook my quarry, but he would not suffer himself to be taken. He mounted upward. So did I. Presently, on the second landing, he relented, stood still. I approached with hands outstretched, poised on the balls of my feet, lunged. With mocking laughter trailing behind him, he rose, seemingly without effort, and floated to the head of the stairs. There he paused on the topmost tread, turning. God in heaven, it was myself I looked at, myself, only younger, ages younger. Then the figure faded, lost its importance. There was something in my mouth, something smooth and round like an apple but I could not bite it. For an instant, just an instant, I became almost normal, sufficiently so to recognize my surroundings. I was on my knees before the door of my own apartment in the studio building, and the doorknob was in my mouth. With a key, or it may have been my pocket knife, I was striving to unlock the hall radiator, which was near at hand back of me, someone laughed. I got up and looked toward the sound. Something danced in my vision. Something brown, formless. It had eyes, though, brown ones. I could see them, nothing more. No hands, no head, no mouth. Then I saw that it did have a mouth, and the mouth was smiling. I became indignant. I threatened but to no purpose. The figure remained, approached, the smiling mouth shaped words. He who shall shaketh the cocktail, by the cocktail shall he also be shaken, were the words the mouth shaped. I took the matter under advisement. Someone wanted me to shaken a cocktail. Well, if I could only find out who wanted it, was it person or thing? there near me. Then I recognized it. Mouse! 
By his eyes I knew it. Mouse, I repeated, laughing immoderately. Little brown mouse. Little brown mouse. Little brown. Now it requires at least an hour for the average man to make up his mind to get out of bed in the morning after such a night as I had spent, had been spending for many, many months. I am different. My powers of recuperation are, as yet, scarcely impaired. That morning I did not wake of my own accord. A mouse, a brown one, gnawed at my hand and brought me bolt upright. I shook it off, and it became a woman, a brown-eyed woman, a woman who laughed. I buried my head in the covers, and when I looked out again, the vision had gone. Sitting there upon a couch, fully dressed except for my shoes, which stood on a chair nearby, and my coat which hung over the back of it, I pieced together the events of the previous night, all that I could recall. I had lunched with an editor that day, an editor who used to think well of my work, and who once held the opinion that it would, in time, even excel that done by my father, in his time considered a master of the short story. His opinion had undergone a change, however. He no longer even considered my work, the little that I did. But for old time's sake, he desired to reason with me concerning my future, which, he said, I was throwing away. You are allowing the fortune your father built up with his pen to become a stumbling block in the way of yours, was the way he summed it up. As a result of that luncheon I promised to get down to work and to send the results to my former friend as soon as any materialized. I meant to do so, of course but habit proved too strong. I left the café where we had lunched and sought one further down Broadway, where one could get, in a secluded room in the building, tiny glasses of that precious fluid that is at once a curse and an exaltation, a bitterness and a sweet of all sweets. Absinthe. Dear God above, what vicious stuff it is that they give us now in the name of absinthe. Once, in its clear, green, sparkling thrall, one might find the sweet exaltation of noble dreams, the spiritual elevation wrought by a vision of the streets of heaven, with soft-eyed angels hovering near. Now, in its yellow, muddied depths, one sinks as if in a false woman's arms, to deception, confusion, death. Yet we cling. But why complain? The power to soothe is there, to deaden the brain, the brain throbbing with the fading pulses of things that might have lived. It was in that café that the chase of the night before began, that pursuit of an absinthe-created vision of my former self, the self I might have been. I got up from the couch and stood looking at my shoes, side by side upon the chair. The laces had been untied, instead of merely slipped, in hard knots, off the catches, as they were wont to be when I was indisposed. That seemed odd to me. My coat, too, 
should have been lying upon the floor instead of being carefully draped over the back of a chair. None of those things was my handiwork. That I knew. The conclusion was inevitable. Someone had assisted me into my room and removed a part of my clothing. I became conscious of a penetrating odor, the odor of violets. Was it the woman? I remember her now, laughing lips, merry brown eyes and all. Brown Mouse, I had called her. Who was she? Was she real, or just a fantasy of my own? The coat and shoes argued that she was very real indeed. I wondered if she was someone I knew, but could not believe it so. I had to give it up. My mental condition did not sanction lucid thought. That night, and the next, and the next, I returned home more like my old self, the self of the stairway, than I had been in months. But I saw nothing of the woman who I could think of only as the brown mouse. Then, one night a week after our first encounter, I saw her again. She knelt on the rug before the grate in my room, tugging at my shoes. One of them came off, and a wad of banknotes fell out. She looked up at me with a face that was white and drawn, hinched. She started to speak, then, getting up, she placed the bills in a dresser drawer. I found them there the next morning. The odor of violets was strong in the room. How she came, and when she went, I could not recall. Just one glimpse of her, there on the rug, was all my memory would yield. During the week that followed, I fairly haunted the old building, actually making myself offensive, peering into the faces of the women who came and went. Nothing came of it. I could not rid myself of the thought of her. At night she haunted my dreams. During the next month I was conscious that she had been with me upon at least four occasions. A new picture of her would flit across my mind, elusive as always, or the odor of violets would saturate my senses. Needless to say, I was not myself upon any of these occasions. On one of these scarcely remembered visits she had wept pleaded with me. But what it was she pleaded for, or who the object of it was, I could not remember. I could recall, though, that she had no longer smiled, and I wondered. One night, six weeks after I first saw the brown mouse, as I still thought of her, I came home bad, very bad, worse than I had ever been before. When I awoke the following morning, I knew that she had been with me the night before. Her presence, typified by the violet perfume, still lingered. I strove to bring her back to me, as she must have looked when there, but my brain was too dead, too sodden. Then I realized that my hand was gripping something tightly. It was a slip of paper, covered with writing in a fine hand. My eyes attained a normal focus. I read. The brown mouse will not come again. It is afraid, terribly afraid, and it is going away. Perhaps 
If it had been possible for you to have helped me, you would. I know you would. That night when the money fell from your shoe. Oh, how I was tempted. I needed it so. Hunger makes us do such strange things. It cheapens virtue, destroys it. But it shall not cheapen or destroy mine. Oh, if a mouse could indulge a human hope, it would be that you will draw back from the abyss before it is too late. May it hope that you will? No heading, no signature. Gone. I leapt out of bed. What did the brown mouse fear? Was she afraid of me? Or was it something else that threatened her? My brain reeled dizzily. I felt very ill. Try as I would, I could not fathom the meaning of the words she had written. Curse the day the green goddess of dreams first lay her cloying lips on mine. Was the brown mouse afraid of me? Oh, no, no, no. I would not harm her for the world. But I read the letter again and understood. Starving going down in the unequal battle of feminine frailty pitted against the world. She had sought help from me, and I was in no condition to help anyone, not even myself. Money, I could have given her that, would have beggared myself for her. Then a terrible thought shot through my brain. Could it be that she was afraid of herself, as I had often been of myself? And did she contemplate the easy way out, as I, too, had contemplated it? Was that what she meant when she said she was going away? Slipping into a dressing gown, I ran out into the corridor. I would find the janitor. He would know where she lived in the building. He had denied all knowledge of her when I questioned him before. But now he would tell, or I would choke the words out of him. At the rear of the long hall I stopped suddenly. From a partly open doorway came the odor of violets, strong, sickeningly strong. With mad longing to find her and to protect her from the things she feared, no matter what it might be, I pushed the door ajar and entered. The room was in darkness, save where the light from behind me trailed across the floor, and out of the gloom something leapt at me. It was the sickening odor of violets, so intense it seemed to my distraught mind a thing alive. I stepped further into the room, and something swayed before me, something white and vague. Then it took form in the semi-darkness, a slender white body, scarcely veiled by the shapeless gauze thing about it, swung gently to and fro beneath the chandelier one rigid white foot reaching downward as if seeking something to rest upon someone shrieked long afterward i knew that it was i blindly i fell beneath the swaying figure under the chandelier i took the rigid foot into my hand and breathed upon it trying to warm it muttering over and over broken senseless Useless words. The end of the brown mouse.
by Edward Parrish Ware.